Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. So what we're going to be looking at today is the council at Jerusalem. We're going to be looking at the way they were discussing Gentiles and salvation. And what we're seeing in the book of Acts, we're over halfway through the book now, is that the kingdom of God is advancing through the church. It really is the kingdom that creates the church, and the church, in response to the Lord Jesus, who is king, gets to participate and be the vehicle through which the kingdom of God comes. And we saw from the first chapter, Acts 1, verse 8, that the gospel of Jesus was going to expand from Jerusalem, kind of the headquarters, the home-based church, into Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and we're watching that happen. Just want you to recall some of the things that we've seen happen. The Holy Spirit fell in Acts 2. Spirit of God came upon the church in Jerusalem, and then before we knew it, some of these folks were being sent out. If you remember Philip out walking on a desert road, and he came in contact with an Ethiopian official in chapter 8, and that official confessed Jesus and was baptized and went back to Ethiopia and brought the gospel. Then in chapter 10, we saw Peter, the apostle Peter, and he interacted with Cornelius, a soldier, in chapter 10. And Cornelius went back with his influence and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and brought the gospel to his family and friends and others in the military. Then most recently, we saw in chapters 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And then we're going to see the rest of the book unfold. The Apostle Paul is going to be front and center, and it's going to be him taking different people on missionary journeys. And he's going to end up on a trek to Rome, where eventually he will die a martyr's death. So friends, this is our story the book of Acts, to think about this. A couple thousand years ago, this is part of the story that we get to participate in, and it's glorious. So we're going to see today, and I want to encourage you, when you hear the word, the council at Jerusalem, you might think, what in the world is this? This is a moment of serious debate and decision. You could say that this was the meeting that changed the church and changed history forever. There was a lot at stake at this meeting or this council at Jerusalem with the elders and the apostles and the rest of the church participating. So we're going to unpack this and see that what was at stake. And that is the idea of salvation by faith through the grace of Jesus. And there were other people who were coming in and saying, perhaps it's faith and grace plus something else. And the council said, no, it is faith and grace alone in the Lord Jesus. Without going into this, I want to let you know this is the first council. And then throughout church history, really, especially for the next 800 years after this happened, they had seven other councils where the church would gather from all over the world and come together and hash out 
views of Jesus, views of God the Father, views of the Holy Spirit. And so we have seven ecumenical or seven uh, gatherings of the church. But this was the first and it set the course. Let's look at the first part, verses 1 through 5. And what we're going to see in verses 1 through 5 is the problem emerges. And then we're going to focus on the next part. They have discussion around it and then they make a decision. And friends, just as much as possible, focus on this and realize the importance of this. This could have gone another direction. And life would have been very different for us. But it went the direction that God was intending. Faith in Christ by grace alone. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Do you mind just standing for these first verses here? We do that just out of respect for God and his word and appreciation that this meeting that the early church had ended up having serious implications for us, the future church. Beginning at verse 1, then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. This is the word of God. You can take a seat there. We're going to work our way through these verses in the next section. So I've already mentioned in these first five verses, we encounter the problem. There at verse 1, certain men are coming from Judea and teaching the believers. What are they saying? They're saying that you have to be circumcised according to the custom or the law of Moses or you cannot be saved. Some of you who've read Paul's others letter, other letters in Galatians, he's going to write more about this in detail, but here Luke is spelling out what the church leaders were saying. And the question is simply this, must a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, become like a Jew in order to be a genuine Christian? That's what's at stake here. And this may seem like an old or outdated question and debate, but church, I assure you, it is not. At this moment, it is a critical question and issue about the nature of our salvation. Do you see that? Just even in those opening verses here, we're going to see Paul and Peter and James address this, but there is a lot at stake. Look at verse 2. For those of you that like to debate, those of you that like to argue and get your point across, did you know that is part of our Christian heritage? These folks debated 
and argued, but the key is it's done constructively, right? So that's not license for us that like to argue and win and dominate. They did it constructively. They did it with respect. They heard one another out, and we don't have all the details of what that sounded like, but I can assure you it was lively, and they were presenting their points with much heat. Look at verse 2 here. Paul and Barnabas, as they hear these men coming down from Judea who've traveled to not only hear and see what's going on, but coming with the mindset, you've got to follow the law of Moses. As these Gentiles come into the church and enter the community, the men have to be circumcised. They've got to obey the law of Moses. And look at verse 2. Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. In other words, they were up in arms. And so they were appointed to go to Jerusalem to meet with the mother church and the leaders there to address this issue. Look at verse 5. They arrive to the church at Jerusalem, and there are some Christians, actually, who belong to the sect of the Pharisees. They get a bad rap oftentimes, right? Jesus is constantly debating with them. But we see that some of the Pharisees, some of the Jewish leaders are actually getting saved. And so they're trying to hash out what does it mean to be a Christian, and because they're so committed to what they've been accustomed to following the law of Moses, they're asking and they're requiring that these Gentiles follow the, call, the law of Moses and be circumcised. Look at verses 6 through 21. This is where I want us to spend most of the time, and then we're not going to cover the rest of the chapter, but here they're addressing the problem, the discussion, and the decision. I'm going to read this section here, so try to follow as best as you can. We've got Peter and Paul and James all speaking here, so look at verse 6. The discussion here. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles should hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. Look at verse 9. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between us and them. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So the apostles are meeting together to discuss the problem. I'll read the rest of it in a moment here, but... After much debate, Peter stands up, makes a statement to everyone, and he's basically laying out at verse 7. He's saying that God chose me in my weakness and all to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. 
And then he reminds them that God is the one who sees the hearts, not only of them, but of the Gentiles. And he chose to give the Holy Spirit to these brand spanking new Gentile believers, just as God had given the Spirit to those Jewish Christians at Pentecost. Friends, this is glorious news that he's sharing. This phrase here at verse 9. God, Peter explains, cleansed their hearts by faith, just as he did for us. Therefore, why, Peter asks, would you put God to the test and try to put a yoke, the yoke of the Jewish law on these new Gentile believers? Do you remember what Jesus says in Matthew 11 about his yoke? Anyone remember that? That's right. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. A yoke in this day meant the law and following the teachings of Moses. And so Jesus was even signaling then that, yes, the law would be fulfilled, but through the spirit of love. And to follow him didn't mean that you had to keep all of the biblical commandments, including the 613 that the Pharisees would lay upon the people. Jesus says it really is as simple as loving God and loving your neighbor. And so his yoke is easy, and Peter knows that and is basically reiterating the teaching of Jesus. The law ends up being fulfilled, but through love and the lightness the grace of that. So friends, can you see a little bit? Are you able to see what was at stake? What they're arguing, what they're debating about here? Are you able to see it at least a little bit? It's crucial. This is about understanding and living the gospel. Look at verse 9 again. What Peter is saying is that a sinner has their heart cleansed by faith, not by obeying 613 commandments, but by believing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what is at stake. This is good news for us. Anyone in here have moments in your life where you need your heart cleansed by faith besides me? Maybe you're sitting here today hearing someone walk through a passage like this about the Jerusalem Council and you need to have your heart cleansed. And this is an initial thing that happens when you hear the word about Jesus, you hear the gospel, the good news that the Father sent him and that he lived a beautiful glorious life and healed people and there's no one more compassionate than him and that he chose to go to the cross and die and shed his blood so that we didn't have to and that the father raised him up as we said in the creed and raised him from the dead and he sits at the father's right hand he's coming back again so I want to encourage you if you're hearing that and you're saying you know what I feel uh, the weight of sin in my heart. I need to have my heart cleansed today by faith through the grace of the Lord Jesus. I want to encourage you to do that. I'm actually going to take a moment here, and if that's you, let's all just close our eyes here.
Maybe there's someone here today that knows that their heart is burdened, stained with sin, and you need to turn to Jesus right now. It's simple, but costly. You can turn to the Lord Jesus and say, I'm one of those who needs my heart cleansed today. And I turn from the way that I've been living, and I ask you to cleanse my heart. And I ask you to be enthroned in my heart as Lord. And you can receive the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray for those who said that prayer that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit and today could be a new day for them. Amen. Now it's as simple as that, right? And that's what the council is arguing is you hear the good news, it hits your heart, and you say, I must have my heart cleansed by faith in Jesus. It's as simple as that, but it costs you everything. So that is what the council is arguing. To pray that prayer, to believe the gospel means, like Feda was doing here today, is a lifelong commitment to follow Jesus and to be a disciple until the day you die. Through the ups and the downs, the good times, the bad times. Amen, church? And if you did pray that prayer today, I'm going to ask you to come up and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to pray with you, and if not me, if that's a little much to come up here, talk to someone else and say, you know what, I prayed that prayer, and I believe that Jesus purified my heart as I believed and prayed in him. Look at verse 12. The church listens to this proclamation of the gospel and Peter recounting what's happened among the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and the demonstration of confirmation of the gospel through signs and wonders. I'm going to read that, and we'll finish this part out here. Look at verse 12. The whole assembly is keeping silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied. So this is our third person that's speaking here. He's actually the leader of the Jerusalem church. And listen to what he says. My brothers, listen to me. Simeon, or Peter, has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets. As it is written, and he is quoting from Amos chapter 9 here, after this I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David which has fallen. From its ruins I will rebuild it, and I will set it up so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. And James says this, Therefore I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles 
who are turning to God, but we should write to them. There's four things here. To abstain from things polluted by idols, from fornication, and from whatever has been strangled, and from blood. For in every city, for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. I know there's a lot there, but this is a key moment. We've got Peter, we've got Barnabas and Saul, and now we have James. Let's look at it a little bit here. James, you notice, turns to Old Testament scripture. We've seen this regular pattern, haven't we? Where the early Christians didn't just share their opinion, but they would search the Old Testament, search the Hebrew Bible, and they would say, what is happening here is a fulfillment of God's promises. And that's precisely what James is doing here. He's recalling Amos 9. Why? Because he knew the word back and forward. These people prayed the Bible, they read the Bible, they memorized it, they meditated on it, and so he is, as he's observing what's unfolding with the Gentile people, he's saying, you know what, this is actually in the book. This is nothing new. God tells us what's going to happen, and then God tells us how to deal with it. And so he brings their attention to this, and the essence of Verse 16 and 17 here, quoting from Amos, is that God, this was God's plan from the beginning. God intended to pick from among the nations the Jewish people and to make them his own and to save and deliver them so that in the future he could look at those same nations and draw from them even a broader people. And his intent was to bring the Jewish people in contact through faith in Christ, the Messiah, and rebuild his people. Verse 17 says, so that all other people may seek the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but at verse 20, it gets a little strange. Anybody else here? We're seeing that the whole contention here, the whole argument is over the Gentiles coming in. Is it by faith and grace alone, or do they also need to be circumcised? And the answer was what? No, they don't need to be circumcised. But what's happening here is James, because he's leading the church at Jerusalem. Now, this, this requires a little attention here, all right? So what James is saying, he is in full agreement that the Gentiles and the Jews and everyone is saved. They have their hearts purified by the grace of God through faith in Christ. Amen? That is what is happening. But James, being the leader of the Jerusalem church, says, we've nailed that down. Now, could these Gentile believers be thoughtful? Because of this mixed church that's occurring, could the Gentiles agree to these four things out of conscience sake for their Jewish sisters and brothers? Do you see it? So what is binding for all time is salvation by grace through faith. But then in this historical moment, James is trying to massage the situation and he says, Gentile believers, will you be mindful, please, of these four things? Now they look weird, don't they? I mean, I... 
Don't think that today necessarily we have things or meat that's polluted by idols. When you go to Uptown Groceries or Target, you're not going to a section that is marked. Um, this is sacrificial meat that was offered to Zeus this morning. So this is not an issue that we're dealing with, but in the first century it was. You would go to the food market, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 8 especially, so it was something that was critical. Look at the second part there. James is saying, please be mindful not only of the meat that you're eating with your Jewish brothers and sisters that might be a stumbling block for them, but of course, number two is binding for everyone, fornication. The word is porneia in Greek, and so it's really any and all sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. And so what he's laying down here is binding for all time. Christians are people who are sexually active only within the binds, the covenant of marriage. Now there's more to this word. And if you were here when we walked through 1 Corinthians, these Gentiles were coming out of a whole religious system that had sexual activity in it. So when they went to the temple, they would offer sacrifices, the priest would offer the sacrifice, and then they had temple prostitutes. And you can imagine what that worship looked like. It was gnarly. And so as these Gentile Christians are coming out of this, James is saying, you've got to leave all that behind. I want you to be very thoughtful about table fellowship with Jewish people, what you're serving, what you're eating, but I'm asking that you and all the Jewish people walk in sexual purity and holiness before God together and support one another in that. And that is something that speaks directly to us today, doesn't it? That the church calls us to walk in sexual holiness and purity. And he gives us the power to do that. Now, that sounds like a crazy message, doesn't it? In 2022, when we're hearing through media and even through some churches, they've kind of eased up on this a little bit. But friends, this is the word of God here. We are to walk in holiness with the Lord. And what's beautiful, what the good news is, is he gives us the equipment and the power to do it. He has set many and most of us free from different aspects of fornication or pornea sometime in our lives. And he can do that for you today if you need deliverance from that. Look at the third thing. This is even stranger. James is saying whatever's been strangled and then fourthly from blood. And again, all of this is tied into the temple rituals, the pagan temple rituals that the Gentiles are accustomed to. So friends, this is a beautiful word here. The council at Jerusalem dealing with Gentiles and salvation. And do you see it maybe a little more clearly as you look at this? Acts 15 may have been a place that you would kind of skim through, but I want us to realize how monumental this moment was. The church debating. There's diversity in the church. Different views and God, his view, his leadership wins the day. Look at verse 28. 
And we're going to end with this. It's important to see this, friends. There's a lot more to this chapter, but I want you to see this at verse 28. We've got debate. We've got different viewpoints. We've got them coming to a unified agreement that salvation is by faith through the grace of God manifest in the person of Jesus. But look at verse 28. This is them writing a letter and sending it to the Gentile and Jewish churches throughout the region, but look at this. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials. You notice the order here. It's good to who? The Holy Spirit, then what? Then to us. The early church is showing us that about all matters, especially important matters like this, they were praying, they were fasting, they were debating, they were arguing, but they were together listening to what the Lord Jesus would say through the Holy Spirit. Imagine how that would change the Church of America if we took that phrase right there in every decision and we said, Lord Jesus, we want to do what is good and how would you guide us through the Holy Spirit? What is good to you, Lord? I'd revolutionize. We're trying to lean into that as a church, but imagine if all churches with their theology and practice sought what was good to the Holy Spirit. I wish we could look at the rest of it, but verses 22 through 35 have the reply and they end up sending Paul and Barnabas and others with a letter that summarizes their convictions and their decisions, and then at verses 36 through 41, we see Paul and Barnabas about to go on another journey, and they actually argue over John Mark. We mentioned this before. And so in this context, this is the beauty of Scripture. We see great unity, and then, wait a minute. They're disagreeing again. This is the church, friends. There's great unity over the things that really matter, that we should be willing to live and die for, and then there are practical decisions that we can disagree over. So we mentioned this before, but Paul and Barnabas end up separating and going their different ways. God uses even that to take the gospel into more regions, and then we'll find that they'll actually come back around and forgive one another and embrace one another, including John Mark. Why don't we stand? Friends, I just want to reiterate, while God is moving, and I'm telling you, buckle up. In the coming days, God has things for this local church, and it's going to be glorious. But we want to have our Bibles open the whole way, don't we? Am I alone in that? The rest of us, we want to have the Word of God opened. We want to devote ourselves to it daily. So I encourage you as a church to schedule time to get into the scriptures every day. It's not complicated. You can read through the Psalms. Pray it. We talk about arrow prayers around here. Read a little portion of scripture, pull a little piece from it, turn it into an arrow prayer. My arrow prayer for today comes from Psalm 88, and it's this, I am desperate. How's that for an arrow prayer? I was reading through 
Psalm 88, and that leapt out at me. I am desperate for you, Lord. And then my verse for the previous day was, every day I call on you, O Lord. So yesterday and today I've been saying, every day I call on you, O Lord. Why? Because I'm desperate. And so we want that in our bloodstream. I want you to be reading the Bible each day, praying it, finding those arrow prayers. And we want to be people of the word and the spirit. Amen?